Blog Talk Radio. The Franciscan Friars of the Atonement present the Ave Maria Hour. Hello, this is Father Bob Warren of the Franciscan Friars of the Atonement. Thank you for listening to this rebroadcast of the Ave Maria Hour radio show. The Friars' popular Ave Maria Hour was first brought to the radio airwaves in 1939, recorded in New York City and on the mountainside grounds at Graymore, a home in Garrison, New York. These timeless classic stories of the Bible and the lives of the saints came to life each week through dramatic reenactment by professional actors and actresses. You know, friends, Christ once said, Do not hide your treasure under a bushel. In saying this, he meant share your gifts, share your talents. The Friars of the Atonement feel the message in these broadcasts remains as powerful and timely as when they were originally aired, and we are so happy to be able to share them with you today. To learn more about the missions and ministries of the Friars of the Atonement, I invite you to visit our website, www.atonementfriars.org. In the meantime, sit back and enjoy this rebroadcast of the Ave Maria Hour. A non-surgeon in the Orient. My name is Gordon Parker. Profession, foreign correspondent. A veteran correspondent never borrows trouble. Most times he's reporting somebody else's trouble. Often he'd like to help. He does if he can. Usually he can't. I know. That's the way it happened to me. It happened in a tropical land. For political reasons, I won't name the country one of those sprouting, newly-come-to-independence nations of Asia. It happened during the monsoon season, which happened to be most of the time. Eight months rain, four dry. It wasn't raining the afternoon of the crisis, but the temperature was 105, and the humidity, an even hundred. This was the village of... Well, let's call it Jamalpur. I was standing by the shack that passed for a hospital. One of the American nurses came out the side door. Isn't it terrible? I don't remember it ever being this hot. How's the patient? Still unconscious. The doctor's still with her? Yes. Don't worry. There's a chance. There never should have been an operation. In America, the doctor who took a case like that would be carted off to the booby hatch. This isn't America, Mr. Parker. That's something you people seem to have forgotten. You mean, if she dies? If she dies, you might as well pack up all of your bag and baggage and go on back home. You're finished here. Whatever happens, we won't leave. What makes you think you have a choice? They can't make us go. They can just let you sit here and rot. You'll never get another patient. She won't die. She mustn't. A crisis never takes long coming or going. It's only the events bringing the forces into conflict that take a long time. These took years. And I watched them from the beginning, 
thousands of miles away on the campus of a great university in the eastern United States. It was my graduation day. I remember most of the class was strolling about. Gordon? Gordon Parker? Hi, Mary. Congratulations. The same to you. It was a classmate of mine. I liked her. She was one of the rare ones, popular, not for her good looks, which she had plenty of, but because she had a knack of spotting people on the sidelines and including them in whatever was going on. Didn't your father come, Gordon? He got tied up. Business. It's oh. all right. It isn't as if I were a 20-year-old. Oh, yes, I forgot you're as old as Adam. I just feel that way, I guess. I suppose you're right, though. I know a boy who dropped out. He felt college was kid stuff after four years in service. But you stayed and made the honor roll, too. I think it's wonderful. Oh, look who's talking. What did the dean say before? The only girl and probably the only student in 200 years of the university to complete the course in three years. <laughs> look, Gordon, Dad and Mother are taking some of us out to dinner. Won't you please come? Well, They'd love to have you. Thanks, Mary, but I can't. I'm catching a train in an hour. A job? Already? Looks like it. On a newspaper? A New York newspaper. Oh, how wonderful. Tell me about it. Mary, can you come here for a minute? Oh, all right. It's Mother. Wait a minute. I'll, I'll only be a second. I want to hear all about it. That was another thing about her. She could genuinely appreciate your private triumphs. That alone made quite a number of my classmates fall head over heels in love with her. But without hurting anybody's feelings, Mary never let anybody's hopes get too high. I wasn't one of the victims because she had always struck me as being in love with somebody else. In a way, I guess she was. Now, tell me, will they make you a reporter right away? No, probably a copy boy first, and that's a long way from where I want to go. You've got to earn a foreign assignment. Well, you told me yourself you know Asia better than you do your own country. Well, I didn't waste my time in the Army. Maybe it'll help. But what about you? You going to get a job? I guess you could call it that. I'm leaving tomorrow morning, too. That's great. I, I hope it's what you want. It's what I prayed for. Oh, dear, they're leaving. Goodbye, Gordon. Best of luck. I had the best of luck, too. I moved up fast. And then, way ahead of my timetable, a matter of about five years, a foreign assignment began opening up, and my Army experience made me eligible. One of my last stints before leaving the country was covering a feature the paper wanted. A Catholic nun was graduating from a big medical college... And I was to get an interview right after commencement exercises. Come in. Uh, Sister Mary Lee. Why, Gordon. Uh, I beg your pardon? Gordon, don't you know me? Mary? <laughs> what? The clothes are different, but I didn't think the face was. <laughs> And I didn't think reporters were surprised at anything. Well, I'm not surprised you're a doctor. But you are surprised that I'm a nun? <laughs> Frankly, yes. Because nuns aren't people at all. <laughs> not people like you. Oh, that's what I mean. They're plain, dowdy girls who've had frustrated childhoods. I, I didn't say that. They're never the pretty girl next door or the team cheerleader. Yes, I guess so. And but... putting a habit on a pretty girl is such a waste. <laughs> okay, okay. I'm stuffy and overbearing. Okay, I admit it, but have a heart with it. <laughs> Only because you're an old friend. But really, Gordon, I thought that attitude went out when men discovered that women could vote and work and even think for themselves. I guess we're still scared of what we don't understand. 
Because it's easier to think of us as creatures from another planet instead of the kid down the street who grew up and is happy at her work. Okay, I've learned something. Nuns are people. But you've got to admit their jobs are unusual. Why? Almost everybody does our job part-time. Good works. Serve God by helping his people. We're called on to do the job full-time. I suppose you could call our work clothes unusual. But I don't think they're any worse than some of the high fashion I've seen around. (laughs) I think you've got something there. Uh, Tell me about yourself. Are you in a special order? I'm a medical mission, sister. Sure, of Philadelphia. I remember their mother house is there. I didn't know they turned out doctors, though. We were founded by a doctor. Oh? Mother Anna Dengel. This was before she became a nun. She was a lay missionary working in India. She realized that if anything constructive were to be accomplished, it would require an organized group of dedicated women. And so she founded our society. Are all the medical mission sisters doctors? No. We're everything concerned with medical work. X-ray, dietitian, technologist, and, of course, administrative work. All college graduates? Most of our girls come right from high school. And some go on to become doctors? Sometimes they study for 16 years before being sent out. It depends on the girl. And then it could be anywhere. India, Pakistan, Africa, South America, Indonesia. Or we could be assigned to the mother house right here in Philadelphia. How about you? Well, I'll do my internship at a hospital here. That'll keep me busy a long time. I'm going to surgery. When I'm good enough, I'll probably be sent somewhere in Asia. In that case, I may see you there. Gordon, already? The paper needs another full-time correspondent. Oh, that's wonderful. (laughs) Oh, Gordon, we must write to each other. We must, just in case I'm assigned there, too. Promise now, write and tell me everything about the countries you visit. Dear Sister Mary Lee, it seems like only yesterday that we had that memorable interview. But here in front of me is your letter telling me the years have flown. It looks like paradise, but its abundant beauty hides a universal poverty, starvation, and disease. They need doctors here, but they have customs that may make your job difficult. Gordon, you wrote me all these things in your last letter. And I'll keep repeating them until you know what you're up against. You'd better hurry, then. The train's due any minute. My, is it always this hot here? Hot. This is the city. This is civilization. This is cool compared to where you're going once you get on that train. You're going into jungle country. And frankly, I don't think you're up to it. Believe me, we're very well trained. I wish I had your confidence when I got here. I'll tell you a secret. If you rise early each morning and take a little time to do nothing but pray and contemplate, you'll be surprised what courage it gives you to face the new day. Okay, courage solves everything, but it's not that simple. You're going to find out that you and your religion are foreign here. I'll try to earn their trust. Uh, The train's almost here. Where are the others? Uh, Sister Ursula is waiting with the luggage. You two aren't going out there alone. Certainly How many people at the hospital? No one. We're starting the hospital. There isn't a hospital? There's a building. How much money have you got? There are some priests nearby who let us have some things if we need them. If you need them? Oh, Gordon. You remind me of my father the first time I took the car out alone. (laughs) Now, don't worry. It's a tradition with the medical mission sisters. Our first mother house was started with nothing. Nothing but a broom. 
We call it Operation Scrubbing Brush. Is that how to build a hospital? That's how to begin. The important thing is to start doing our job while we're building. Our first sisters had a motto. Put your trust in God, storm heaven with prayers, roll up your sleeves and get to work. Not out here. It won't work. That's what they said about our mother house in Philadelphia. But pretty soon we were saying, we're pushing out the walls. We need a bigger house. You'll see. Pretty soon you'll hear us calling for a bigger hospital. Well, here we are. Goodbye, Gordon. But please try to smile. You remind me of the patient who found out it was my first operation. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye, Gordon. I'll write as soon as we settle. Dear Gordon, I came prepared for the worst, but I didn't expect this. Our hospital is a bare two-room shack. It's 300 yards from the road and almost strangled in underbrush. There's no water, no electricity, no medical equipment. There was no operation scrubbing brush. First, because there wasn't a broom to be found anywhere. Second, a broom would be useless. You'd only be sweeping dirt on dirt. And finally, there's so much hunger and people here need work. We'd deprive them if we did the work ourselves. One thing we found in abundance, disease, all varieties. The average lifespan is 27 years. There's a regular district hospital, of course, but it's frightfully overcrowded. My services are available for the asking, but we are strangers and they are proud people. We haven't yet earned their trust, so we've had no patients in our hospital. months before I heard from Sister Mary Lee again. Then, just a brief note. Nothing had changed, but she refused to be discouraged. After that, no more letters. But several months later, an important meeting of top political leaders was called near Jamalpur. That was news. I had to cover the meeting. I took the train a day early to give me time to check up on the hospital. Jamalpur. This is an area I knew well in my wartime service. The day I arrived, a blistering, blinding sun shone down. The heat was unbearable. I finally spotted the two-room shack. Gordon, I can't believe it. Hello, sister. Oh, do sit down. Can I get you something to drink? I had a glass of your water, which I didn't expect to find. I also noticed you have electricity. Yes, isn't it wonderful? We sank a tube well and brought the electricity in from the road. Where did you get the power line? Army surplus. <laughs> You've also got 20 hospital beds in the other room. Well, people are very generous when it's for a good cause. Though I thought I'd get writer's cramp. With all the letters home, I'm afraid I've neglected you. You're forgiven. I'm just wondering why I did all that worrying. Oh, Gordon, never worry about us. We don't. Just our work. You're doing all right there, too. No. So far, we've failed. Failed? I spotted at least a half dozen patients in there. Mm -hmm. But what else did your trained repertorial eye observe? Ouch. <laughs> all right, <laughs> let me see. 
Oh, I get it. They're all men. No women. Because of the poor, da. Sure. Their customs. Only a husband or a member of the immediate family may see a woman unveiled. But that doesn't apply to you. They'll come if you arrange it so they'll be secluded from men. We have a separate wing for women. It's empty. Even though we've promised to observe all customs. Not one? Not one female patient. Well, they'll come when they need you badly enough. They need us now, desperately. Their own doctors are male and can't treat them directly. And Gordon, the women are so fragile. They lead such cloistered lives without enough exercise or sunshine to develop properly. And when they're having children, it's tragic. How did you get the men to start? Desperation. One of them, his name is Joe Rudin, was afraid he might die before there was room for him in the district hospital. I think he would have. I almost fainted when I examined him. The complications. Though I've become used to it now. Do you know that of the millions on millions of people here, at least 20% have peptic ulcers? Oh, that's worse than in my line. Except here, it's never one thing. Anemia, malaria, amoebiasis, worms, tropical fever. I gather Joe Rudin was a mess. But he became our best advertisement. They don't wear shirts, as you know. And he had a scar on his abdomen that long after the operation. Huh? He was so proud of it. He became the envy of the village. <laughs> the men began coming in after that. Not many, but enough to keep us busy. Um, it just occurred to me. What if Joe Rudin had died? He didn't. You haven't lost anyone? Before any of them will come, I have to accept responsibility for their recovery. That's a pretty big gamble. What happens when you lose one? We do our best and leave the answer to God. Doctor, we're ready for you in surgery. All right, nurse. Gordon, I've got to operate. I'll be around for a few days. I'm sorry, doctor, but there's also an urgent house call. Uh, well, send word I'll be there as soon as I leave surgery. Where is it? In the village, the Ahmed house. Ahmed? Sister, do you know who that is? One of the big wheels down here. Yes, I've heard of him. Nurse, did they say what was wrong with Mr. Ahmed? Oh, it isn't him, doctor. He's away. It's his wife. His wife? The district medical officer asked for you personally. Sister, this is it. If she'll come to your hospital, all the women will come. And more to the point, can she come? What do you mean? She must be in critical condition. They'd never have sent for me otherwise. Nurse, have a rickshaw waiting. Yes, doctor. I'll leave as soon as I finish this operation. It won't wait. I didn't want to miss this. I found a rickshaw for myself and went out to the Ahmed house. I got there long before Sister did. Two men were standing outside the house. They kept looking down the road. One of them I knew pretty well, the district medical officer. I had done a story on him a year ago during an epidemic. The second man turned out to be Ahmed's younger brother. By the time we'd been introduced all around and explanations made, Sister arrived. Since her husband is away and she's been in labor so long, I took it upon myself as chief medical officer to send for you. Her first child? Yes. Her husband, as you know, is very prominent. Yes, I know. Where's the patient? Inside. The woman will take you to her. I have a Let feeling... me examine her first, please. Yes, do. But whatever you can, she must be saved. I could see both of them were frantic with frustration, particularly the medical officer at not being able, because of the custom, to treat her himself. As we waited, he came back to it time and again. So, you see, I haven't even seen her, Mr. Parker, and it's my responsibility. 
If anything happens to the wife of... She's been in labor since yesterday. Maybe it's not as bad as you think. Or perhaps worse. A midwife is tending her. She reports to me periodically. She says the patient is bleeding. It's so hard to tell without seeing her. She's in good hands now. Dr. Mary Lee has excellent qualifications. I know. But such a difficult decision with Mr. Ahmed away. You mean he wouldn't approve your calling Dr. Mary Lee? Who knows? Well, I don't think you'll regret your decision. I won't. If she lives, Mr. Parker. Oh, here comes the sister now. Doctor, how is she? There's no time to lose. I've given orders to have her taken to the hospital. Your hospital? Oh, no, no, it's impossible. You must treat her here. Out of the question. I've got to operate. We'll provide anything you need, but it must be here. Doctor, this is final. She must go to the hospital. You don't understand. I understand perfectly. You have my word. Your customs will be observed to the letter. But it is not in my power. It is in your power. You are chief medical officer of this district. I can't take that responsibility. Then I can't take responsibility for her life. Her life? The woman is unconscious. She's hemorrhaging. Oh, no. If we hurry, we may have a chance. Will you give her that chance? Give me a moment. Well, she can't spare many. This is necessary. There are other considerations. I must confer with this gentleman. He's a member of her family. We will step over here. Then please, hurry. We won't be long. Sister... They're going to say yes. I hope so, Gordon, for her sake. Bad as that? Worse. She may not reach the hospital alive. Why didn't you say so? I couldn't. They'd have considered it hopeless and denied permission. She must have her chance. What chance? She may be dead now. I don't think so. Anyway, it's worth trying. Is it, sister? What do you mean? You know what I mean. This isn't just the fate of one patient we're deciding here. It's a nation of women who need your help desperately. Sister, you can't afford to take a hopeless case. Your whole project stands or falls on the first case. I know that. Then drop it. I can. You can. You've got to have at least an even break. There'll be other cases. What about her? But this is one case, a woman certain to die despite you. Match that against thousands of lives you can save if you succeed with the first case. Gordon, please. Answer me honestly. Would an ordinary surgeon under ordinary circumstances take this case? That doesn't matter. You can't do it. I must. Why? Because this is my purpose in life. I'm a medical mission sister. Our love and help is testimony that there's a God of love who cares for all his creatures. All of them. All people of all races, of all conditions. My skill and knowledge are his instruments to prove his love. We're here because God cares that people die horribly and needlessly before they've hardly begun to live. Can I, who've dedicated my life to God, turn my back on any one of them who needs me and still proclaim my belief that God cares for all his creatures? Oh, they're coming back. Sister, we are agreed. You may take her on one condition. Name it. Quickly, please. This gentleman with me is her brother-in-law. He insists on accompanying her. No. That is the condition. No, sir. These are your customs. There will be no men in the women's section of the hospital. But he's in the immediate family of the patient. Ah, yes. But a stranger to the next woman patient who will share that ward. Then he will stay outside on the hospital veranda. You know that won't solve anything. And while we argue, a woman is dying. Please, as a doctor, I appeal to you. Very well, take her. But please, please save her. 
that's how it happened. And that's how I came to be sweating it out that hot, humid day in the jungle village of Jamalpur, waiting outside the hospital with the nurse, waiting for word one way or the other. Oh, it isn't possible, I know, but I think it's getting hotter. Why don't you go inside and see how she's doing? No need to. What do you mean? Here comes the doctor. Where? Oh, yes. Well, she's calling. She wants you. Oh, something must have happened. Suddenly, it wasn't hot anymore. A chill went over me like a blast of Arctic air as Sister Mary Lee came toward me. I couldn't tell anything from her face until she spoke. It's all right, Gordon. She's all right. Thank God, thank God. Yes, I have. Oh, Gordon, you should have seen her when she woke and I gave her the baby. Baby? Yes, baby. A very active, loud, and healthy baby boy. Baby! Oh, Gordon, your face. You know, I completely forgot there was a baby connected with all this. Well, I've got to hurry back. Oh, wait a minute. Yes? Gordon, I'm doing surgery. Sister. Sister, I... Gordon, whatever are you trying to say? Nothing. I mean... Sister, you're terrific. Oh, no, no, what's the matter with me? I didn't mean to put it that way. I know what you mean. And thank you. That's one story of the Medical Mission Sisters of Philadelphia. Sister Mary Lee is back home now, but before she left, she saved literally thousands of lives and left behind two modern, well-staffed and equipped hospitals. She has a bigger job now, helping to turn out the younger Medical Mission Sisters who will go abroad to take her place. She describes their job in these words. Providing professional medical care in medically underdeveloped countries as a practical demonstration of Christian charity, or in short, preaching by action. The Bible has a word for it, too. So let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father. listening to this rebroadcast of the Ave Maria Hour, brought to you by the Franciscan Friars of the Atonement. For over 110 years, the Friars have devoted themselves to fulfilling St. Francis' prayer, to heal wounds, to unite what has fallen apart, and to bring home those who have lost their way. We work for Christian unity and interreligious understanding. We provide respite at our retreat center at Greymoor for those in need of spiritual renewal. We staff parishes throughout the world, serve as chaplains for colleges, hospitals, and prisons. We care for the ill through hospice work, ministry to those with HIV AIDS. We also shelter the homeless, 
and provide treatment and services for those suffering from alcoholism and drug addiction. If you would like to be included in our prayer list, participate in special St. Anthony Novenas, and or visit St. Anthony Shrine Graymore, attend a retreat, learn more about our Ave Maria Hour productions, or simply make a donation to assist us in fulfilling St. Francis' prayer to help those in need, please visit our website at atonementfriars.org or email me at avemaria at atonementfriars.org. You can write to me, Father Bob, Friars of the Atonement, Graymore, Post Office Box 300, Garrison, New York, 10524. And so, in closing, I ask for the blessing of God upon you and those you love. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may he look upon you with kindness and give you his peace. Amen.